Hello. Welcome to Social Evolution. I'm Michael Porcelli. And I'm Max Borders. And we are here to talk about uh, woo kinds of stuff, like psychedelic, visionary logic, sort of maybe I think of these as like higher stages, higher order of uh, psychological consciousness, development, consciousness. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we wanted to make clear at the outset of this is we neither of us knows particularly what to expect. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that we both have had experiences that were meaningful mm-hmm. and that are not easily articulable. Yes. Uh, and some of those are due to, um, you know, experience, experiences that have arisen out of experimentation with substances. Mm-hmm. And some of them are, uh, developmental stages perhaps uh, mm-hmm. that that each of us has been able to touch or or whatever and we're trying to in a very honest way unpack these states without lending them too much um how would you describe it we 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 want to place limits on this in in certain ways and not others and we don't know exactly how to do it yeah. we're going off without training wheels this is going to be fun because i think it may sort of arise in the moment like a particular aversion that either you have or i have because there's a certain ambivalence i i feel about it um and i think part of it um comes from my own past development i think i think we're going to touch on at least in good social evolution style past present future and things like ego development or psychosocial development like our our big uh, episode about spiral dynamics but I think it does stretch back and I can see it stretching back for myself developmentally. I was raised in Southern California in a Pentecostal church and that had the whole, you know, speaking in tongues and faith healing thing and these kind of wild, ecstatic, exuberant, blissed out states that I partook in pretty much wholeheartedly from when I was pretty young, like seven, eight years old. So I, I feel like in a way, my body and nervous system or whatever have, have a sensitivity to going into those states. It's like, it's actually tuned to it. Yeah. It's easier to go into those states for me, which is kind of cool for what, but, but at the time it was also kind of attached to a somewhat, you know, looking back on it from my vantage point now, like odious fundamentalism and like a lot of like, we're going to tell you what that means, like an authoritarian sort of way. And I, I've grown to differentiate between the states and the insights that come from the states and I don't know, something like a metaphysical certainty. And so I have an aversion to that from my younger years, sort of the fundamentalist theology of Pentecostals, but I also have a similar aversion to it in these kind of woo new age circles where the states happen and then people sort of become very, very certain metaphysically certain about stuff that I'm like, you have no business thinking that your brain is in communication to some alien group in the stars and that they're talking straight to you on some, you know, channel or something. And that's really, um, that's, I think where you and I agree about this. There is a, there's a distinct culture. It's very individualist. Um, mm-hmm. very in, in younger culture um, around being vulnerable, this sort of rehashed Brene Brown stuff. Yeah. 
you know, there's this, <laughs> there's a, and, and look, I just don't relate to it and I yeah. want to. And so whenever I communicate something very personal on the podcast, it is not in the spirit of that. Sure. And, and I, and I feel the need to say that not because I want to disparage anybody else's stuff. There's mm-hmm. a, you know, uh, whether in San Diego where you're from or here in Austin where I am, there's this, there's, a, there's quite a bit of movement, I guess you could say, around this uh, life coaches, performance coaches, people who claim to be urban shaman. Yep. Um, there's just a whole lot of, uh, you know, new age woo that's sort of mixed together with this this personal development stuff and everybody, you know, airing your feelings on social media and Mm -hmm. and ways that I would prefer to keep personal and private. Yep. So this is not something that I find particularly comfortable, even though it's meaningful to me. And I, I want to share my experience and I want to learn about your experiences to the extent that they were meaningful to you and me. Yeah. I hope that that it, it is in that spirit that folks can listen to this. Cool. Yeah. One thing I've really liked about how our conversations have evolved is we try to touch on these sort of big ideas and history of philosophy or anthropology and civilization and speculation about the future, but then to relate it to our personal stories somewhat as well. Like, how did we get here? And we've touched on that. And, you know, I can, I've definitely am part of, in my meta relating work, I'm definitely part of this movement of like, more more authenticity or, or, or more self-expression or, or more empathy and communication and this kind of thing and um but i also see kind of its, its limits and i think that's we should just bookmark that for another conversation which i think would be very interesting um but here just to ground us in that framework a little more like one of the in moments you and i both admire ken wilbur and the spiral dynamics folks and yeah, this is the Claire Graves model. We're not slavish followers of it, but, no. but we we appreciate it. Yeah, and we we respect it as a heuristic, and we understand it has limitations. So one of the things I want to check with you: if have you ever heard come across some of this verbiage that kind of indicates when you when that monumental leap, right, to second tier happens? Yeah, actually, the second tier levels have like an echo or a recapitulation in some ways of the first tier levels. So what you'll get in um, integral circles or teal, yellow style cultures that people start to identify this like second tier. Oh, yes, that's me, whatever. There, there's actually a bringing back of, I think, flavors of all the earlier value memes, but especially purple, I find sort of comes back and purple is the magical thinking one, the kind of like everything is sort of infused with this whatever you want to call it, consciousness or Elan Vital or kind of like essences and things like that. And, and I think that's, it's kind of interesting. Like it's kind of interesting that there's a, a sort of an echo of it, uh, at the second tier in a way. And I do find people who do experiment with psychedelics or other perhaps non-chemically supported ways of like really stretching their consciousness out, like shamanic spaces or journey work or whatever that breath work and breath work uh-huh yeah. holotropic breathing there's a there's a whole bunch of these ways that like there is something that does feel magical about it right like somehow the 
the world or even inanimate objects come to life or feel like you you're in a a relationship with them or you're talking with them especially out in nature you know you can if the tree is breathing or speaking to me or gesturing to me with its branches or something like this i don't know you want to share a little bit about yeah i mean i've definitely had experiences uh, and it's it's strange i after my first major psychedelic experience i mm -hmm. remember i needed to go look up what uh, I think it's like the nature of religious experience or something like that in William James. The varieties of religious experience. Varieties of yeah. religious experience. And mm -hmm. he, um, if I recall, had four categories, only two of which I ever remember. And that is, and it's because I remember distinctly these two, which is the ineffable and the noetic. Mm, interesting. Um, and there are two more categories. But but in particular, this the the first one is is the ineffable, and that just mm -hmm. means how in the world am I able to articulate this knowledge? And it is a species of knowledge. It is a way of knowing that is embodied. It involves head, heart, gut all simultaneously going. Mm -hmm. It involves uh, this sense, this residue of change. Mm -hmm. after you've gone through the experience that you will never be the same yeah of course there's some substrate where your neurological uh wiring has been rewired to some degree and if mm -hmm. you know there there's some evidence around that from neuroscience mm -hmm. but that all comes with a concomitant feeling or residue of i'll never be the same i know something now and yet I'll never be able to put it into words. When you try to put it into words, you're doing the very thing that makes it not ineffable, right? Sure. Um, and for someone who, with, with a rationalistic sensibility, someone who appreciates, certainly I consider myself a left brain, right brain balanced person. I'm not, uh, I, I think both of us to a very great degree have these, a, a good old cor corpus callosum Mm -hmm. And a good alignment between our head, heart, and gut. And mm -hmm. I think that's what makes us, I hope, at least interesting conversationalists. But we're not super autistic, left-brained, mm -hmm. nor are we super flighty, kind of touchy-feely on the other side. Flobies. We, we, we balance the Apollonian and the Dionysian. And, you try. And, and we try. We try, yeah. at least. And so what I found after my experience peak experiences and i'm curious to learn if you did as well is that apollo and dionysus were both very much satisfied by this experience mm -hmm. it, it um it grew the interconnection among those modalities it mm -hmm. so it didn't make me somehow more irrational it made me appreciate the magical thinking, the mysticism, to understand it and regard it as a felt and embodied thing, to try to, to, try to weave it into the totality of my experience. Mm -hmm. But it didn't make me believe uh, you know, that I could do uh, work spells or anything like that. It's, 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 mm -hmm. it's altogether different. I'm curious about your feeling on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it's cool that we're having this conversation because like you know i get to apply my mental model style of thinking 
trying to put labels to things and how would I chunk my experience. Um, and somewhat, you know, I like that you brought William James, also Aldous Huxley in Doors of Perception talks a lot about this kind of thing. And it does seem to be super ancient, you know, wh whatever this thing and, you know, perhaps humans use of mind altering chemicals actually goes way back to the foundations of civilization and religion. There's plenty of people who speculate about this. Um, there's a guy who, who even has like a new book about key of something who talks about it in, in the Catholic church, actually. Yeah. Was this his name? The, I don't remember his name, but he was on Jordan Peterson. I yeah. He just, he just made a big breakthrough. And boys, was he an articulate spokesperson for that? Mm -hmm. Um, I think they were talking to some degree about uh, the Eleusinian mysteries, That's mystery right. cults, mm -hmm. the illusions. Yeah, yeah, mystery and cult. and how they used um, they would take ergot, which is a kind of mm -hmm. which is a kind of uh, a fungus in that appears in wheat and grains, and mm -hmm. the ergot would create lysergic acid, and then they would ferment that, and so basically they had this kind of mead or beer that had a precursor to LSD in it. Yep. And so of course these cults formed around this because of the, the knowledge as it were that it imparted mm -hmm. and, and the, er, some of the early Christians and others had this profound yeah. peak experience using this vehicle mm -hmm. that is ancient as anybody can remember. And a lot of people think, and, and a lot of people are starting to come around to the idea, detabuizing it from the puritanical age of Christianity yeah. to, to starting to see these kind of substances and these kind of experiences as we've talked about this in the past before about placing stones around the fire mm -hmm. with these, with these kinds of experience. In other words, going out and being Bacchan into some Bacchanalian, you know, hippie stuff out and, and yeah. taking a bunch of drugs and going to Burning Man. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, you know, I think Burning Man has a lot to recommend it when it comes to uh, at least deference to shamanic tradition, to therapeutics, to set and setting, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know, all that stuff. People can be Bacchanalian, of course, if they would like at, at some big festival. Yeah. But there is a definite view to seeing it as a therapeutic medium and seeing it as a quasi-religious or spiritual pathway. Mm -hmm. And as long as there is, there are stones around the fire that demarcate the difference between the sacred and the profane mm -hmm. and the difference between the dangerous and the spiritual, mm -hmm. um, never quite such bright lines, but certainly to, to, to think about making that demarcation is important to moving forward into the future thinking of it in less taboo terms totally totally it's um there is a way that it it it's almost like a super magnet attractor kind of thing where it's actually easy to like almost like overload it with significance but that's a little like like the kitchen sink or something but it does sort of actually, that's kind of how it works, right? You sort of create a, whatever it is, a space or a meeting or a festival like Burning Man or something. And it's like so much comes together all at once. It's almost 
it's almost like more is more like the more that kind of and then you can kind of extract out of it almost like a Rorschach blot like whatever you want in a way because there's just so much stuff in there's so much potential whatever you want to call it, like a potential energy psychically or something like that um but you know when I when I start to kind of reflect on what are the pieces and like you were saying like your in your experiences ineffable and the noetic some of the things I come away with feel like a state just like a state of peace and openness and inner stillness space and like somehow patience yeah it feels healthier like this is a more resourced state uh, a more uh, I feel like more dynamically available for whatever state rather than sort of like fixated, like neurotic neuroses or whatever, the kind of like looping thoughts and things seem to have faded away a little bit afterwards. But the experience itself can actually be, if if that's sort of like a benefit, the experience itself can actually be sort of an amplification of some of these things. Like the, the looping thoughts can like loop harder or faster or become worse and worse versions and you're sort of watching my brain kind of almost go partly mad in a way at times, like in the experience, um, sometimes in the darker versions, not the ecstatic high parts, but it seems like it has a, a wide variance of experience, but I come away feeling kind of cleansed out. So that's, that's maybe like a, a, a well-being psychological, emotional benefit. <clears throat> There's another set of insights or experiences maybe is a better word that seem more mm, philosophical or something like maybe even like there's some utility to it rather than simply just like this is benefiting my mental health and well-being and clearing out some internal psychic space there does sometimes feel like there's like um almost like oh like i'm about to understand something about the universe like something important Oh yeah. Like like the truth will be revealed or it is being revealed or or something. That's the noetic. That's exactly, that's exactly what you can't, what's, it's so frustrating because you feel that you have been, people say stuff like, and it can be a bit silly, but it's something to it. Like you've received a download. Yeah. And because of the ineffable nature of it, of this Mm -hmm. noetic experience, right? inability to articulate what you what has been revealed to you in precise terms even though that's what we're trying to do it do right now we're doing it in a ham-fisted way perhaps mm-hmm. uh, compared to the the nature of the experience itself because right. it's it is profound and yet if you were to ask yourself in purely instrumental terms how can i use it a that that seems to desacralize it in a way that I find almost offensive. Mm-hmm. But also, it a, a, on the other hand, it's kind of a good question. Yeah. And the answer to how you can use it if you don't allow yourself to be offended by it because of the the because it, you have sacralized the experience or it feels sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, can be actually a kind of fruitful line of inquiry, at least mm-hmm. for me. As long as you don't ask it in a kind of cynical or skeptical way, like, oh, you were just on, you were just, you were just on some drugs and, 
and you think that you experience something profound, but that's just the drugs talking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was when I was younger and a little bit more, I suppose, carefree and reckless without a way to kind of process what was happening to me really in a more mature way. Sometimes it would be sort of like, yeah, I just got to stop doing that because I just sort of it feels super good. And then I have sort of this sensation that I'm getting some insight, but I'm not actually getting any useful insight. And and the lows are getting lower and so I was getting, fuck that shit. Right. Like and I did go through that phase. But I think as I've returned to it in a way more measured, mature way, that's much less frequent. And it has some of this kind of more sacred containment to it. It does actually start to feel like there is practical insight. And some of it is that kind of individual centered health and well-being. It's kind of like I wrestled with myself about this thingy that I'm all, like a, some form of neurosis or something. And I and somehow, it, you know, rather than like tightening that knot harder, you know what I'm saying? It actually untied. And then whatever reserve or waste of energy was kind of like tied up in that knot got freed. And now mm -hmm. it's almost like I just freed up some RAM space. Like there was some stupid viral code just sort of like sucking up energy and space that I couldn't really use. Yeah. And, and, and that goes back to me to that, that, uh, the, 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 the chattering anxiety yes. loops. Um, my partner, um, I shouldn't talk about her on, on the air, but, but here we go. I'll get in trouble. I'll ask forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> or I'll just edit you later <laughs> Yeah, to save your ass. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, she has described, uh, you know, she's, uh, throughout her life experienced depression, some depression and anxiety. And I think to, to some degree it's congenital. Mm -hmm. Um, in other words, it's always been with her. Yeah. And, you know, I think the way people who suffer from depression and anxiety describe this is this program that runs and mm -hmm. loops mm -hmm. and that you describe that program and the ability to sort of extricate it through these means is yep. really important. Yep. Um, and they're coming to find on the, you know, on the scientific side of things, if you can, if you step outside of the, the inner, you know, the psychonautic or the inner world for a moment of mm -hmm. the experience itself, in the William James sense of psychology right. and do it into, you know, just in, into the world of we're studying people who have these experiences. Right. What they're finding is that they're, it's a very powerful tool for treating depression and anxiety in, cert yes. in certain kinds of settings with certain kind of, you know, therapeutic means. Yes. That is enormously promising. It's been ignored because our government has tabooized it for a very long time. And, and indeed our society has, we just haven't been ready for it. As mm -hmm. we go back into understanding these utilitarian applications of it, we have to be careful not to desacralize it, as, as we've said, mm -hmm. because there is that if, once you've experienced it, the revelatory, the noetic, it is offensive to suggest that we, you know, you think of all these tech bros who want to go down and do ayahuasca in Peru or whatever, right. because yeah. they're going to come back and and do tech bro -y things and better <laughs> yeah better and 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 yet um we can give a little bit of respect for that don't you think sure and um and and really and and just while at the same time acknowledging 
it's a it's a both and it's a yes and yeah you know um there are utilitarian applications you know people are finding a tremendous benefit in in addiction recovery yep with psychedelics with muting some of the anxiety and depression mm-hmm. with in essentially rewiring their brains in all all sorts of ways that make them at least for me my experiences i've found myself uh to be much more enormously patient with people yeah um that placidity that residue of placidity afterwards the sense of connection that is almost a cliche with the rest of the world the sense that others are an aperture into self Mm -hmm. and this self and other dichotomy collapsing yes that that there's a residue of that that is important to being a loving and peaceful person mm-hmm. by disposition mm-hmm. and then it can help you change your disposition mm-hmm. if you don't want that disposition changed don't do psychedelics <laughs> right <laughs> yeah well this you hit on a number of things that i think are pretty interesting like you know one of which is kind of that cyn- that cynical thing there is I, it's a bo- it's a both and like one of the things i really liked about uh, future frontiers was just that there was a, a nice contingent of the psychedelic renaissance thing and michael pollan's book how to change your mind came out and was a new york times bestseller and we're just kind of in the middle currently as we speak of a psychedelic renaissance i would say there's a lot more studies being approved and there's different approaches therapeutically that are kind of being approved or at least experimented with in certain jurisdictions and you know the truth is in, in my circles of the transformation people all the people that were into yoga and wellness and diet and this and coaching and that and meditation there some significant chunk of them were like just adding and now i have facilitate psychedelic journey work for other people we have space for doing that at our house now and i'm like you'd be surprised at how how much i've seen this happening in the past couple of years in in these populations and in a way i feel feel mixed in a way because it's i think these are actually powerful psychic energies that can get unleashed and people who aren't really ready to deal with that coming through another person you know need to have training but then you know the training schools are also rising to meet the challenge and i think on the on the other end of it i sort of fear something like it getting kind of instrumentalized right sort of it sort of becomes metrics and like what's the What's the sociometric or the psychometric that we're using that determines the result and the dosage and and like it just gets kind of like it's it's sort of that reductionistic style of science where it's like okay now we just okay so cool now what is is this just like your doctor writing a script to take to the pharmacist again and then you just pop a thing in the morning and is is it just become that again like and i could see the part of me that, that goes that way or that would find that appealing and there's another part of me that's sort of like, well, you're that sort of like leaves out all these other things like set and setting and the person and the relationship and the opportunity to like talk about it. And actually starts to resemble something like I'm going out for a rave and I'm just going to pop this pill and just have a good time. And then I'm going to crash, you know, the next day and be like, that was great. Right. Like, but the, you know, there's no lasting, significant lasting change that sort of incorporates itself into your worldview. Yeah. But I think all the many ways that it can and and i want to bridge here not just to the intra-psychic ways like the health and well-being ways i do think it even that thing that you said about 
uh, the dissolution of the, the uh, self and other barrier. I do think there is, you can say like that's a, a kind of um, a, a non-dualistic or, or, or a, a anti-rivalrous or disposition or, or like a win-win kind of mentality in, in game theory. Like we can look at the mathematical construct of that, or you could be like, what, what does it mean to just be predisposed to want that or attract it or make subtle choices that make the situations more win-win more often, right? And there's that I don't think sort of necessarily occurs in a purely rational way. I think it actually kind of occurs by the, the self, the organism actually instantiating want, it, wanting it. Yeah. This is, this is, this is so good. This is exactly what I, I've been trying for ages to, well, not long since I've probably, it's a lot of it has been from the, for this very reason, you know, based mm -hmm. on these experiences I've in my intellectual journey, let's just say, mm -hmm. um, I was very much, uh, personally a theorist mm -hmm. and I was interested in rules. What kind of rules, for example, or rule sets are more likely to give rise to good, certain kinds of good incentives to create a certain kind of society. Yeah. Um, and the, the sort of bare abstract rules I was interested in from the standpoint of being a theorist yeah. and even moral theory. In mm -hmm. other words, what can some, what does some philosopher have to say about, about what's right and wrong? What is, what rule applies here? Right. You know, we could talk about it in consequentialist terms. We could talk about it in deontological terms. And yet with this, I have, and with more and more Eastern uh, understanding, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of Western philosophers and Western minds would do well to have some contact with the Vedic traditions, for example. Mm -hmm. And of course, doing this it's almost like a cliche well you know you got to start you know exploring the yamas and the niyamas and you've got to start looking at buddhism and all this stuff mm -hmm. just like it says in the hippie encyclopedia but it's <laughs> absolutely a grain of truth to it and the reason yeah. there's a grain of truth to it is not because all of a sudden you're you just want to go out and and dance in the fields with you know with the hippies although that may sometimes be true mm -hmm. it's more an issue of starting to understand the good the true the beautiful and the good not as a theoretical construct to mm -hmm. be learned in a book but something to be practiced yeah where you're constantly um for example um john stuart mill had this this idea called the harm principle which is to say that no one, particularly the government, should harm any other person unless they're protecting them an, another person from harm. Mm -hmm. So we 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 eschew harming others, but as a rule, mm -hmm. and that's a very Western way of looking at it. The mm -hmm. Vedics don't say that. The Vedics say uh, ahimsa, which is the first of the yamas in the mm -hmm. in the um, yogic tradition. Mm -hmm. They say. Practice nonviolence in thought, word, and deed. It's not just about deeds. Right. And it's about, first of all, it's about the things you say. Mm -hmm. 
And the idea that there can be violence in words, I think, can be taken too far. Obviously, mm-hmm. you and I have, you know, we talked about the problem of woke and how, you know, and everybody's banged on endlessly about, you know, trigger warnings and this and that. And every mm-hmm. anything you can say can traumatize me. And that's all very Gen Z. And I think it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> but I do think that the Vedic traditions, the idea of um, sowing the seeds of nonviolence through practice yeah daily active practice conscious continuous practice of thought word and deed thinking of head heart and gut gut being about action yep. heart being about what what what's felt and mind being about um your regard for that in some logical or rational way all mm-hmm. of this alignment mm-hmm. is is about embodied morality yeah. And it's very different from a Western way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. The punchline here is that psychedelics can help you see that in every aspect of your life. Yep. Yeah. A few comments like, well, there's psychedelics or just the spiritual practices that are kind of aligned with them. And in a way, you could say if, if the psychedelic, you know, gives you that top of the mountain experience where you actually see it and experience it, then it's kind of like, well, what do I do to maintain it? Well, this is where the world of practice, like the alignment of thought, word, and deed, and the different things that you can do to embody that and make it real in your life every day. Like if you don't do it, you can think about it as like mental habits or, or inner yogas or whatever you want to call it that do this for you, or they don't do this for you um, if you don't practice them. And then I think too, there's a little bit of a, I want to push gently back on the Western Eastern thing, which I think the Eastern philosophy and body of practice is much stronger in this, but it does peek through somewhat in, especially continental tradition of Western philosophy. And, uh, you know, you could even, you could take deontology, Kant's deontology as like a very kind of like conceptual thing, but you could also sort of see it as, um, a discourse norm of truthfulness which is some practice of embodying it right or aristotle's virtues which are kind of like yes about the development of the being right right? like not so much the rules and that's why you're absolutely right that's totally fair Mm -hmm. it's a good pushback we do see that both in the aristotelian and platonic Mm -hmm. traditions Mm -hmm. we, we see a resurgence of the virtues yes today Stoicism and Stoicism. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also seeing a renewed interest in the Gnostics and some of the um, some of the early Christian, uh, more cultic kind of traditions that, that that never made it into the Catholic canon per se, right? But are still um, really interesting in this way and and probably connected in a lot of ways to to um, to ecstasis to you know, mm-hmm. th- this kind of, these peak states. Totally. Um, so you're right about that. I think, I think a lot of it has been lost in maybe the Western style philosophy that I learned about college and in analytic, grad school. Anglo. Ang- Anglo-analytic. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, rises out of, uh, and it's, and it's good in a lot of ways, but it, 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 sure. it definitely has its Victorian roots and we can't deny that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely, it, People who are attracted to that Anglo-American tradition of 
logic, rationality, you know, in its purest forms, and even, you know, even in in some measure, the Kantians uh, can get Anglo-American in this way. Oh, yeah. Um, They they just, they love the purity of reason reason and abstraction. Yep. Um, but what I love about even the, even the rational, the rationality community today is Mm -hmm. that they're starting to see, uh, you know, use terms like embodied cognition, Yep. understanding that we have these biases and that we are holistic beings, that we're not just ratiocination machines using our prefrontal cortices. We're using our whole bodies, our whole minds, and boy, you, 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 you use psychedelics and it will remind you like that yep that you are all of those things and beyond yep yep and that that extended order outward from the body and the mind mm-hmm. that we're constantly being informed by everything around us and that it is flowing through us and what it means to be alive is to to process these flows these, this channelization of life the world our memories our future to i mean and indeed to to be able to in some way decompose break apart and put back together some of the things that we take for granted like space and time yeah the contingency of space and time of the passage of events um Mm -hmm. of our separate selves as we were referring to earlier all these contingencies are seem much more open and available mm-hmm. we even have this i found a very very this is the weirdest one and i want to ask you about it do you ever have this in in the in the buddhist meditative traditions mm-hmm. part of the most rudimentary practices of meditation is being able to there's almost like an inner homunculus mm-hmm. right this regarding figure that mm-hmm. doesn't think or that doesn't think or feel per se, but allows thoughts and feelings to be there. Okay. Okay. But that there's this almost like inner locus that can regard and externalize thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Meditation, after many years, affords one the ability to start to things that do things that psychedelics i think can short circuit or give you a glimpse of totally and that's why i want to say with the utmost reverence that the people who do it what i call the hard way through 30 years of meditative practice those Mm -hmm. people deserve a lot of credit and they Mm -hmm. have explored regions of thought feeling and experience that we probably never know even in the shortcut the shortcut states Mm -hmm. but man you know I'm Western enough to be able to say, hey, I'll let's give this a shot and, and get a glimpse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have had a meditation practice on and off over the years. And um, also just to note another kind of parallel, some of the Buddhist stuff, Husserl's phenomenology and the Western phenomenologists echoed some of that stuff too. Like br- the bracketing thing is a little bit of like that same witnessing consciousness, like can you bracket off the mental contents and see them as objects? It's very similar to Buddhist instruction. There's a, a Jungian strain uh, that comes out of uh, mysticism too, 
uh, mm-hmm. early Christian mysticism, then that, that f- tended to flourish more in, in the German intellectual traditions, mm-hmm. German and Austrian intellectual traditions. Totally. So you're right about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered, I wonder if some of these traditions will be re- sort of woven back together in interesting ways with people who are exploring them now. Yeah, I mean, the Stoicism definitely is getting woven back in. But, but I want to bridge, too, about this. Um, and my mind just keeps, I'm just somewhat partly in the state that gets invoked by talking about this shit. And my mind is just connecting to all kinds of, all kinds of things. And, you know, b- back to the use or misuse idea, right? The, um, the tech bro example, like I can, there's even been kind of criticism about like mindfulness in the workplace is just another whatever neoliberal capitalist delusion so that people will accept their <laughs> capitalist overlords or or um this idea that oh meditation that's going to help you focus better and be more productive when it's kind of like maybe it does maybe in like these western style kind of simple cause effect sort of models to like you know oh we tweaked this variable over here and this one changed this it's actually part of the whole issue of what's wrong with things like psychiatry to kind of just do these it's like an implicit cause effect or correlative thing on a person's mind body system which is a a giant complex dynamic system so it's not doesn't ever quite work that way do this dosage of meditation and you'll get this more productive or focused but it starts to get kind of shoved in that direction by a certain kind of paradigm and maybe for some, they kind of like, I got it now. Like I do stoicism and I do my neurotropics and I do my Wim Hof breathing. And then I, you know, show up work on 10, 10x more productive and, you know, being another cog in the machine. Then I think there's another, you can go back to the followers of like Tim Ferriss and the biohackers and kind of the people that showed up at Future Frontiers are sort of some kind of go in this direction with it. Um, and it does sort of feel a little crass or, or, desacralizing of the stuff when it gets just too dialed in that way. But I also see another thing that kind of happens is like, there's a, there's an actually an exit ramp, right? You can imagine pick up the tech bros some more, right? They're like just coding away and, you know, and then, you know, the, the weirdos in the, you know, Google office are just like, we're all going to Bernie, man. You got to come. We're going. Ooh. And the person's like, I don't know, man. I'm just like, just tech broing out over here. And like, and then there's some like, I'm going to go. And then maybe they have an inside experience, right? Because C- there is a big sort of almost dehumanizing churn over there of like, what are we doing? You're just like VC injection. And then you're trying to like work 80 hour weeks so you can get your liquidity event. But then you want to leave the company that you started. And you never want to go back there again. And then what are you going to do? I'm going to become a VC and I'm going to put another 22 year old kid through the same thing I just experienced over the last eight years. Right. And it's like, or you just go like, whatever, just take the right kind of chemical mix while you're over at Burning Man. You go like, I'm jumping off of this because this is weird. And, and I'm actually, I don't know if you know this, Max, I'm, this is me, partly me. Cause I went and worked at the first.com bubble 98 through 2000, but I also experimented with, uh, substances during that period of my life. And there was a way that the whole startup scene just became very, 
superficial to me. You could just see the just the amount of waste or the amount of hype or the amount of just changing strategies almost on a weekly basis and everything was like some kind of kabuki for attracting more capital you know what i mean and like yeah throwing more kids like people are moving from the midwest or whatever and just more coders and i'm like but these are not even like great coders these are what we called script kitties you know that's what we used to call them back then i'm like but it doesn't really matter i'm like and and some part of me was just i had a i had a huge you know uh, spiritual awakening experience. It was not chemically enhanced in 2000. And I've shared that story, you know, it's a pretty personal story with friends of mine, but that really kind of changed directions. I mean, I stayed in engineering for the better part of the next decade, but like that seed kind of got planted. And this, this way of like, yeah, I don't want to burn myself out for some, just grasping at some liquidity jackpot that's going to come my way if if only i like work hard enough or something yeah yeah it's 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 a strange um i i i, I a lot of you have to be very careful when talking about this stuff mm-hmm. say more um i get the sense that a lot of people who are use psychedelics use psychedelics a lot even much more than we have are Mm -hmm. not aware of the power of of it sure and take it for granted um i'll tell you this um we always told my we've always told my kids when they're old enough and only one of my kids is old enough that if you ever became interested in in anything like that to let us know and recently Mm -hmm my oldest uh told his mom that he was curious about uh magic mushrooms mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we're going to give them to him and, mm-hmm. it, and it doesn't mean we're going to be able to stop him from getting them but one of the things that occurs to me is that and this is going to piss a lot of people off but i'm going to say it <laughs> <laughs> i'm all for experimentation and everybody's going to have times in their life when they experiment and they shit and fall back in it. Mm -hmm. But I think there is a level of maturity of cognitive development and of wisdom that has to accompany this stuff. It's that powerful. Now, when it comes to, when it comes to the state and it's vast armies and police powers, I don't want to see the state interfering with people and what they put in their body. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's just me. I'm with you. But that does not mean that each of us as an individual shouldn't respect this stuff. We need to respect it. And it shouldn't lead us to con- some conclusion that we should, we should abandon our responsibilities to our family and ourselves and all like that. So when I heard, first heard about your story, extending back in time when you when you had this sort of spiritual awakening and and you changed paths yeah it was very much a journey for you it wasn't a moment it was a punctuated series of moments certainly right Right. but i think for anyone who has this kind i mean look i'm and i'm under no illusions that you know college kids are going to go out and do drugs and act like like dumbasses (laughs) right but um 
you know, if I, if I were ever to, uh, if my kid ever had this experience, I wouldn't want him to demonstrate a level of preparedness yeah. to understand that this is no joke, um, get the basics of set and setting, and to understand that he needs to have cultivated himself a sense of self-possession and agency. There's almost yep. like a power that courses through you. Yep. It coils you up. And it, it, you're almost simultaneously respecting something that is like a god that is inhabiting you. Yep. And also being in possession of it and controlling it. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, it will overcome you. It yep. can overcome you. And those yep. who are overcome by it have bad trips and bad experiences. So it is no joke. I do think it is safer than a lot of things out there. For example, you know, um, just all, anything on the uh, side of the uh, side of the drug spectrum that has to do with, uh, um, you know, opioids and things like that. I just or think strong it, uppers get people yeah, super wound up. Yeah, like what is that speed kind of stuff, or you know, meth. Adderall and meth yeah. and that kind of stuff. That whole those whole class of either you know highly addictive things or both they're all highly addictive but um you know i i i, I respect your right to, to experiment with that but i wouldn't recommend it i don't think there's anything good that can come of it mm -hmm. uh whereas these i think there's tremendous good that can come of it and we're only just now learning what kind of good can come of it, both in instrumental terms and spiritual and cognitive terms. Yep. And, and yet, it is not, not everybody is the same. Mm -hmm. And there are certain, and there's, there is a stratification of human beings. Hmm. And in that, in, in certain strata, they're, th th those substances are just not, tailored to those folks they're not ready for it yeah 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 or perhaps their neurology or genetics are not predisposed for it that's that's right yeah so i i agree with everything that you just said there for the most part i mean i i, I had some insights from uppers and things like that but definitely the richest experience has been in the psychedelic category but i i do want to talk a little bit about the internal dynamics and maybe make a bridge to something like more like higher levels of development that is not strictly just so if if you think about the the substance as sort of an accelerant or something that sort of like takes you on an elevator to look at what it looks like from the peak and then brings you back down then you got to sort of climb up for the climb back up in the hard way to have it be actually embodied or available to you on a day-to-day -day basis um but like one of the ways that i think about it I want to check to see if you have this fits your experience too. Is like the in the homunculus. This is another homunculus. Uh, cognitive sciences call it like the the self concept, right? It's like I can think of this awareness, this witness consciousness that sort of just contains awareness of all kinds of things. I'm aware of you and feelings, external world, the internal world. But there is a little sub part of our brains that seems to do something like uh, tell a story about ourselves right an autobiographical narrative like these attributes are sort of inside this membrane that i call the self the me right and, and and i got to be this way because thus and such series of events happened that made me this way 
or something like this. Uh, some people think of this as like the ego or something like this, the egoic self in the, in the Buddhist sense of, of, I know who I am, it's my identity, or, and this is what I'm not. This is what I am, and this is what I'm not. This is what I'm like, and this is what I'm not like. This is, you know, I, I like chocolate ice cream, I don't like strawberry, or whatever this is. And um, there can be sort of trivial things like that, but if you do psychotherapy, the, you know, and the Jungian model calls it the shadow, and Freud called it the unconscious and you know there's debates as to whether these are the right conceptual models but i'll just say i'll just stipulate for the purpose of our conversation i think something like that is actually pretty accurate right like there's we already simply know tons of the events that happen within our skin are not like in our conscious awareness right tons of the events in our bodies are just fucking automatic shit yeah that just is happening so at some point we're like, look, I'm aware of some of the shit that's going on inside of here, right? It's definitely not all of it. So wherever this kind of whatever gradient or something exists, there is some place where there's a difference between what's going on in your body and this narrative version of you. The, the max <laughs> that this being sitting across from me believes himself to be. Right. And that is actually, it's an interesting thing. It's a useful thing, but it's also partly inaccurate. It's partly incomplete. And it's actually somewhat, um, I actually think lesser than the fullness of who you are. And I think same applies to me. The poor Shelly that I think that I am is somehow really, uh, a slightly diminished version of the fullness of who I am at a deeper level. And these experiences, whether they be sort of like a transformational workshop or a psychotherapeutic insight with your shrink or a moment of clarity in one of these medicine journeys or something like this, uh, the there can be the sense that you've expanded. Like the boundaries of that self-concept or internal representation have expanded yeah and something that previously was like ah, that's not me is sort of like oh yeah i i got a part of me that's that way that's i can well, see that and and that's you know i've i've told you in other contexts that i've um you know you've been involved in circling and authentic relating for a long time it's yep. it's related to your meta relating practice mm -hmm. um and I've always expressed to you, and, and I've wanted to do it in a way that didn't offend you because I admire what you do, right? Particularly in a corporate setting, you know, that, yeah. that you have this, uh, the meta-relating way of, of um, you know, instant, helping people. We've shared reality and stuff that we've talked about on other episodes. I, yep. I really appreciate that stuff. But I've always expressed a lot of skepticism to you about... Um, circling and activities where it seems like there's contrived intimacy sure mm -hmm. and i think this is one of the reasons that i don't i don't uh, it's not to say that i can't imagine having beautiful experiences psychedelic experiences with others because i certainly can and have yep um but there's a part of me that wants to withdraw into the top of the wizard's tower yes or the the monk going into the inner sanctum yep 
And there's a level of intimacy with that. When I'm ready to, for that, it's not that I don't want to share it, say, after the fact. Sure. Because sometimes sharing these experiences, even if we lose the words, are important for reifying them and putting them into memory. Yep. And, and at least to experience, the, experience this residue that we've been talking about of uh, placidity, patience, um, and um, connection. Connection, yeah. And yet... I don't want to see this turn into some like, you know, workshoppy thing where we talk about our feelings and, and we get sort of exposed to everybody's shadow work. You know, there's just, I think for me, and this may be just me and other people have different, uh, you know, different uh, perspectives on this and I respect those. Mm -hmm. But for me, there's a level of intimacy with it. A level and the, and it's the sacredness, yeah, and my process of sacralization that when I'm ready to talk about this stuff, I'm ready to do it in a very serious manner mm-hmm. that this isn't some you know kumbaya or woo fest or sharing episode or you know you know what did you learn about this person that you hardly know that has contrived intimacy? <laughs> Don't give a shit. <laughs> right yeah uh, maybe and maybe that's my uh my barriers maybe that's my i have some growth to do in that way um and maybe i have made it too individualized too inward but for me it is a it's a very uh just like a meditative practice mm-hmm. uh it would be for me intimate and in and inward um and yet i'm very curious about other people's experience like yours obviously Mm -hmm. those people i'm close to because i care about them yeah and that i don't know if i've uh, if that's a difference without a distinction but it's like if i uh, if i love you i feel close to you um and we have we've established a connection Mm-hmm. in some way that feels like a place for that level of intimacy with something like a psychedelic yeah but showing up with randos mm, not for me yeah well there's a place where i just i feel very resonant with everything that you're saying in terms of like well i really want to be selective and if it's and i, I feel that way nowadays like this idea of like just gonna go to a party and there's gonna be like 100 people there and everyone's gonna be high on something and it's like okay no i'm right there's yeah. like because because it's like well somebody may it might be different substances but it also might be just people who's like i haven't vetted that person i'm like their junk starts pouring out in a way where i'm like this is like their bad trip is now making my trip bad right and i feel like i need to it's, it's harsh in my vibe or something like i mean there's all kinds of that's a, a simple way of pointing out to the one of the many ways that that kind of thing can happen. Yeah. And I agree that like filtering well for either people who enter into medicine spaces, as we like to call them or into uh, just workshop spaces without substances. I think there does need to be somewhat of a filtering function. And the, the other thing that you pointed out too, was like how much of it arises in a kind of like a, a shared space 
yeah. like a connected or a transpersonal interpersonal zone and how much of it is kind of interior. Um, I you're, think there are you're different absolutely approaches. right about that. It's like when you introduce opportunities for people and you, you know, you, you do sort of the joking, you know, harshing my vibe thing or whatever, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there is an energetic, it, there's an attunement to people's emotions yeah. that happens and that is heightened. Yes. And when you do that, when you notice that someone is somehow emotionally off, it can actually be represented in the visual representations of them mm -hmm. and the energetic representations. You're, so you're, you're attuned to something, but it's, inter it's an interpretation yes. that, that it, it is, it's turned into the symbolic. Yes. I've seen people as ghouls. Yes. I've seen people as, but, it, but, I, but I know that it's telling me something and I know it's yes. telling me something very real, that the symbolic is actually more real uh -huh. than the prosaic. Yeah. It's almost like a form of information compression yes. that your brain is doing to kind of like rapidly like, whoa, okay, yeah. stay away from there, or go towards that. Yes. Yeah. Whatever the context is, or, you know, like, let's just talk about it sort of in a semi-idealized way or, or just like a, a positive one, right? It's not, it's the right people or it's the right kind of space or the right kind of practice or with, you know, the people that you trust or something like that. And, um, I want to come back to something I said earlier that I wanted to check with you, like when it's working, working, that idea that the self-construct expands or that it becomes maybe a little bit even looser at the margins or the identity becomes a little bit more flexible or something like this, integration of shadow or however you want to call that. I do think that effect is a developmental thing right like if, if you look at these different developmental theories some of them have like you know you you sort of go through your your younger years you can take the piaget model or a spiral dynamics model or whatever and you kind of get to a certain point of like the fully developed ego self i don't know if this is like college age or mid-20s like my professional persona is now established Ta -da! right but then <laughs> the second second part of your the next part of your life could be a, a certain sort of unraveling of that, or at least a kind of questioning of that. And that maybe, maybe some people sort of skip a good couple of decades and then they have their midlife crisis when they start doing this. Or maybe some people sort of, you know, like me sort of like, all right, I'm in my late twenties, time to go to therapy. Right. Like, and that's sort of what it was like for me. Um, but it, it did sort of feel like all of the pieces that I kind of had carefully sort of built up as this self sort of became more flexible, more optional. I sort of could see some of the roots of it that were maybe more in a, in a forgotten memory or a traumatic event or wh whatever it was, you know, the way your parents fucked you up or your religion of your youth fucked you up or something like this. You know, and these are kind of almost stereotypical types of therapeutic insights. Oh, you see that. And now, the, the thing that you always did under those circumstances, like almost just automatically, now you have more choice or more sovereignty, whatever you want to say. And I think those correlate, that expanded sense of self, your ability to have more choicefulness in a variety of situations, I think actually translates into something like 
personal power or individual power. Yes. Yes. Which is a pragmatic it is. effect. And, and it is. And it accompanies that sense of calm. Yes. Right? Because sometimes the, the chattering mm-hmm. anxiety um, is accompanied by voices of the, let's call it the, the generalized other, which mm-hmm. set of social expectations and social constructions yep. that are always with you that are extensions of the self because you've taken it on almost like, like, uh, you, you, you can't help it. You're, this is, you're, this is my a, reputation. What other people think about me. Right. Sort of There's thing. this gravitational, uh, effect of, of all this accumulated stuff in your life. That's right. Right. I have responsibilities. I've made these commitments. People count on me. Um, society wants me to do this in order for me to be able to be liked and appreciated. I have to meet these set of expectations. That's we right. all have these kind of feelings. They're part yep. of being human. Yep. But those kinds of experiences, when you achieve, when you go through, we can. T- I don't know if we're going to have time. We may have to do another episode, but sure. we can talk about the specific cycle of a peak experience. Yeah, yeah. Which would be very interesting in and of itself. And I'll try not to cry because every time I've ever tried to tell someone about it, uh, I, mm. I remember it and, I'll, and I just I, 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 I turn into, I, I, I choke up. But. We won't do that on the air today, hopefully. Right on. It'd be um, fun to do that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> but but the after the after effect, this this sense of connection and placidity and patience and um you know, I remember I'll just I'll tell you the the, the end of my first uh, the when the, the experience had expired and I had reached the stage that I'm called the re- the, the residue of the experience. Yeah. Which is that that it's a, it's a it's a sense of peace that comes over you totally and i remember in, almost involuntarily putting my hands up into prayer mm-hmm. this this old atheist who had just seen the godhead <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i remember that prayerfulness that involuntary prayer prayerfulness yeah. and thinking that i was a baby that I was a baby priest all of a sudden, that I had been reborn in some way. Yeah. And that I wasn't, I wasn't going to go out and be an evangelist for this because I didn't know enough about it. I didn't have enough mm-hmm. of my, I didn't have enough uh, uh, um, wisdom and uh, how to relate to it and relate it to self. It was still this, uh, all-encompassing feeling and knowledge of the, of the immediate download of the, the revelatory and the noetic. Yeah. So it's basically the same, mean the same thing. That was felt as much as thought. And that I wanted, um, and, and, it, and it was a sense of like, I know that I'm going to behave towards others and I need to be able to practice this more. Yeah. I need to be able to tap into this feeling and a set of associated thoughts so that I can be a better person right. to humanity right. and, and even the extended order of the planet on a planetary scale. Yeah. This didn't mean I became like this huge recycler. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> I know better than that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what, I, but what I, it did cause me to do 
and, the, and this is a cognitive, this has a cognitive element too, not just a felt element or an, an, an emotive or affective dimension. Right. It is a sense, uh, the sense is accompanied by the thought of unfolding complexity that we are uh, constantly unfolding in yes. complexity. Yes. And that part of that unfolding is in some sense towards something mm -hmm. not something that we know but i could imagine in that moment as this old atheist of that part of our existence is combining in some sense unfolding and eventually merging with this omega point mm -hmm. as as uh um the shardram I'm sorry. Taylor de Chardin is Omega Point. Well, yeah. there's also um, the uh, the psychedelic researcher who's since passed, but his brother still lives. I forgot his name. Okay. Um, you know, what I'm talking about the two brothers who mm -mm. studied uh, ayahuasca for years. Mm -mm. Um, he talks about an Omega Point too. Yeah. 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 But this. Um, but, but it's it sounds like an Indian name that you. I'm not surprised. There's some. Okay. Uh, the, the guy you were talking about is is new to me, so I'm I'm. Oh, he's a he's a Western mystic. He's a Western mystic, long okay. dead. Yeah. Okay. Christian, almost. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. What's his name? Taylor, Taylor de Chardin. Oh, mean, okay. So it's like a French name. I think so. I have to look it up. Okay. Yeah. It, he has this whole concept of this omega point as like an end state attractor. It's actually sort of like um. Aristotle's final cause, the final cause. Yeah. 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 Which. Normally, philosophically, I'm not into that. Right, it's like too, too teleological. Like, yeah, uh, like yeah. teleological theories trouble me. Yeah. Um, but this was a reconciliation mm -hmm. of the teleological and uh, an emergent complexity. Yes. Does, does that make sense? Kind of. And and look, yeah. the, you know, you're... I vibe with it for sure. There's a, there was such a funny thing the other day. I'm going to pick. I'm not going to say any names, but there was a <laughs> on 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 online the other day. There was this um, this there's this woman Nora. Well, named Nora Bateson because she made herself very famous by basically saying that uh, these stages of development, these 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 models, she said they're not only crap, not true, but they're colonial colonialist as hell. Is she, is she related to the other Bateson? Yeah, name? Gregory Bateson's okay, daughter. Yeah. Okay, and. And so she was very dismissive of this idea of these stages, um, mm -hmm. which I'm not. I'm not dismissive at all of it. Yeah. Um, and then this young woman who uh, very much admires her uh, said, you know, I think she's right. And, uh, you know, um, I've noticed that, um, you know, that science, uh, as a scientist, I've noticed that when you try to put things into models, you can, you know, lapse into linear thinking. And you're, um, and that w the more you practice and 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 are um, in in the scientific practice, something along these lines, you'll start to notice the nonlinear nature of things. Mm -hmm. And I and I basically commented, well, you just showed us st two stages of development, right? Right. You you went from this linear model driven. Uh, outlook yep. that helps you cognitively and presumably in other ways mm -hmm. um, to uh, nonlinear, uh, less model-oriented yeah. mode or manner of being in science. Yeah. 
right. that is a there is that is exactly well, the kind of thing even if it's not rigorous even if it's not set in stone even if it's not written in the tablets of moses exactly there's something to going from the linear to the non-linear right from from architected to emergent complexity yep these are all exactly when you start to see the world in terms of emergent complexity it doesn't mean you throw your baby out your linear baby out with the bathwater sometimes you got to build a circuit board mm -hmm. but sometimes you got to build protocols mm -hmm. for something that's going to be built atop them that you can't possibly anticipate yep and that is that is that stage's notion and in and then I'll shut up after this because I really want to get your response to this. Yeah. Peak experience accelerates that understanding. Yeah. I, I'd agree. I mean, there's, I'm going to, I love everything you said. I'm just going to add to it, like a, another kind of riff here. Like, um, I agree. It's almost like a, we are the big bang that is happening. And if I sort of see myself in this way and I do this introspection, I can sort of create more degrees of freedom, right? If my self-identity becomes loosened up through this developmental or psychedelic insight, right? But that's also just a, the local part of the Big Bang that I'm aware of, which is me coming through my body. But it's like, wait a minute, this whole thing, like the tree of life, all the way back to the origin of life on Earth, it's still that. And it's in some sense, a continuous unfolding dynamical system that is never going to end until the heat death of the universe or whatever right like and even then it could be a, an oscillating universe or something or like something that. like that or we could where all the where all the vedics were you know yeah, tell us about yeah. reincarnation and they turn out to be right, they turn out to be right. yeah so just to rein it back a little bit from just speculating about the long distant future there is a way that you know darwin was brilliant in terms of his discovery of this like this is not fixed categories, right? We're all distant cousins. We're all part of the same family tree of life. We're all this, you know, later the discovery of DNA kind of demonstrated we're all actually related in the, the fundamental, you know, biomolecular sense. And it's like, wow, that's incredible. And it's just like all these variations on a theme, just kind of exploring potential design space, you know, through this. And in a way, wh whatever that, outer mitochondrial dna that put us all you know all related to the lucy australopithecine or whatever something like that yeah. yeah um but whatever that is the outermost leaves on the tree of this unfolding thing are not going to stop it's not we're going to be like here we are and this is like the stasis state, the state of ecological stasis that was perfect in some either edenic state or in the past or in some utopian state in the future, you sort of realize, oh, this is a complex dynamic unfolding that is fundamentally not predictable, but part of, you know, it, you can, if you look at like a genome of a species, basically, it is a sort of blueprint for a certain kind of body plan that is successful in a certain evolutionary niche, which is kind of contingent on that niche, but it is, it embeds a certain kind of implicit knowledge or information about how to build a survival machine in that niche, right? And that's a kind of a, a form of knowledge, right? But I also think of the scientific method has, you know, 
it's questionable whether there is a scientific method per se, or if there's a general one, you know, sense of a, a variety of things. But definitely in that cycle of the generation of scientific knowledge, there is hypothesis generation, right? Hypothesis generation. This is one of those ones we don't fucking understand that. It's it is kind of psychedelic. Like, where did Einstein come up? You know, Einstein talks about, well, I just closed my eyes and I imagine I was like flying on the front of a train and the train was going the speed of light. And, you know, sometimes he would actually use these kind of embodied metaphors and like the way he's describing the the it's like he put himself into a trance and then had this sort of experience. Then he comes back from this inner journey in his own imagination and comes up with a concept that could be translated into a theoretical construct and then yes. tested later. Yes. But where the fuck did that come from? Right? It comes from this, whatever this emerging edge is. I mean, Newton went off in the middle of the plague. He just sat there looking at lights coming through windows. Well, and that's shit, right. And he comes up with it. So right. you're really you're really pointing to the cognitive, uh, the creativity enhancing aspects of this for for the for the cognitive dimension, because yes. it's not it shouldn't be ignored, right? And it sh and it shouldn't be suppressed either, because right. a lot of people think that this is just going to make you see things that it's gonna you know um, oh I'm gonna see fractals when I close my eyes yes and right. Right. Why are you seeing fractals when you close your eyes? What is the fractal nature of everything? What are the what are the channels and flows and vascular systems all around us? Why are they that way? Yes. And why is why am I experiencing that to the nth degree when I close my eyes and go inward? Mm -hmm. And it's not just this. Um, it's not just pretty colors and and you know Mandelbrot. It is. Uh, it is the it, you start to be able to regard other dimensions. Yeah. And I, and I, this is where I, I was hesitating to go because people are going, oh, fucking bullshit. <laughs> right. But you are able to regard other dimensions. And, and, and or, rather or at least something that seems like it's coming from another dimension. Like when you're getting one of these downloads, it seems like you're going into an imaginal space yes where the rules of physics are bendable at least in the subjective experience of the dream world the imaginal yeah. world and but that's actually a space of creativity where you could be like right it's like many people relate to this like i had a dream like i was flying like an eagle right like this kind of thing it's like well you can't fly in a body like this with the physics here on earth but in the dream space you kind of can and that's a simple example of the many kinds of like little uh, variations you can do in the, that imaginal realm. Yeah. Which if you sort of take it seriously, which which some people kind of do and go like, you know, um, Alan Moore talks about this, my favorite comic guy. He wrote Watchmen. He has this whole trippy theory that like uh, uh, the ideas are just out there uh, and they're like other new age people have this idea too, where it's like, they're just out there waiting for a body mind to perceive them and get a hold of them and then like translate them into physically embodied words and actions. Now this is pretty woo and I don't buy into that. And this is kind of like 
my kind of restraint on the woo, but it does from the subjective point of view, sometimes sort of feel like that when you have a mathematical insider, you solve, I I've solved programming problems in my dreams yeah, and then come back later. And I'm like, Oh, that was what I was supposed to do. And then I come back to work the next day and code, right. the, and code the solution. And this is the, this is the word, this, the, the, the sacred and the cognitive merge for a moment. Yes. They're the touching because you, you have to leave yourself open to the possibilities of, of what you're experiencing. Don't doubt them because that is going to lead to the creative insights that right. could, that could lead to the next great breakthrough could need to lead to the next theory of relativity could need lead to the next, um, yes. you know, appreciation of string theory. We talked about on an episode, not being able to understand, not being able to, um, that, that unobservable entities defy the scientific method because the scientific method relies on observation and observational data. Mm-hmm. And with theoretical entities, those, the theory comes first. We have to have those imaginative insights yes. in order to be able later to figure out how to test for them. Yes. How the fuck do we know whether there's a neutrino or a this or that or a tachyon or some particle that has some certain probabilistic behavior where probabilistic is a limited way of showing our understanding about some of these phenomena. Right. But in those states, that, that realm of possibility, that set of contingencies around p- being able to pull apart space and time, being mm-hmm. able to see the contingency of perspective. Yes. Where, where I, we're, we're perspectively trapped, subjectively trapped. It all seems very open and multidimensional when you're in these states, which allows you the simultaneous way of thinking about things and processing cognitively that is almost lateral or, again, simultaneous and not linear. Yep. Those kind of breakthroughs are enabled by this stuff. Yes. And if you can take them back... They're imaginative. They may not be knowledge. They may be knowledge. Just don't question them. Don't try to categorize them. Mm-hmm. Just play in them. Yeah. And to the extent I think that you can play in them, you can start to figure out how they work into your, into what you might call the waking realm. Right. Yeah. And that, this is, this is exciting to me. I mean, this, there is a little, somewhat of a, of a spiritual element to it now and whether this is you know from a more hard-nosed materialistic way it's just we're perceiving an adjacent possible because we've kind of like r- reached this place where you have purchase on whatever the next thing could be or when newton says he's standing on the shoulders of giants or, or you know like it, it, it maybe it is just that but i would say that the state of being your internal relationship with yourself. Uh, I don't want to speak for other people, but it does seem like this theme comes up quite a bit. That uh, Ken Wilber wrote a book called Quantum Questions, where he it's just an anthology of the most sort of uh, spiritual passages from all of the major early twentieth century physicists, 
like Eddington and all these guys. And it's, it's fascinating to see just, just how psychedelic and Eastern philosophy they sound. Yeah. Um, but you're sort of recognizing they, they're, they are sort of talking about the, the perception or the experience that they had that was sort of essential, central to their ability to come back and do the scientific innovation that they did. Right. But like it's, if, especially if you believe in the hypothetical deductive model of, uh, science, right? Like, well, that whole like hypothesis generated here, like that's a black box. Like I cannot tell you like carry out this recipe or this formula and then you will generate a hypothesis. No, no, it's not it, like that at it all. It just comes from, it feels like it comes from outside of you in some way, like it, yeah. or like you're perceiving a realm or an area and you know, mathematical Platonist, this is kind of philosophy of math we've touched on before a little bit is some of those guys just think that they're seeing another place in reality that's just real, but it's not physical. And there, there are people who are anti-Platonist in the mathematical philosophy, but, of course. but that idea fits what we're saying, right? It's just kind of like you just, you're going to a place and that place doesn't feel like it's out here in meat space. But the cool, you're getting some fucking cool shit from out there and you can actually translate it into words and behaviors, and then you can create stuff on top of it. Right. And it's uh, the important thing emotionally, intellectually, and otherwise is to, is to understand that there are levels of description for your experience. Mm -hmm. Some of them are utilitarian. Mm -hmm. Some of them are useful to you in terms of your health, well-being, all those things. How can I use this as a tool in my life? That's yeah. very basic. I, 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 I almost bristle at those kind of questions because they seem so gauche, so base relative to the experience itself. Yeah. But at one level of, ex and, and you can look at, you can plot, you can almost plot these levels of description yeah. on, yeah. on the spiral, if you like. Sure. Okay. So, you know, you, yeah, do do that exercise sometime. You know, look up the spiral and 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 and, and sort of do, journal yourself after your experience on each level of the spiral according to that level and see what you come up with. That's an interesting exercise. Yeah, never done it, but what I'm trying to communicate is not that you reduce your experience to some model, some you know cognitive spiritual model, but that you keep all of its aspects um, as facets of an overall truth, mm -hmm. an overall experience and set of truths that work holistically together as your experience. You can, you can regard it from the utilitarian perspective. You yep. can regard it from the sacred perspective. You can regard it to the cognitive improvements or leveling up that it affords you. Yeah. You can bring some of those back into this world if you can. Mm -hmm. You could try. Mm -hmm. um, they may point the way to some other insight or creative endeavor. They certainly have for me. Mm -hmm. They may afford you the ability to understand relativity for the first time, um, yep. you know, or, or, 
string theory or whatever, you, you know, yep. or understanding yep. multiple universes and the idea of a bifurcating universe and imagining that all things that have ever happened and will happen have happened simultaneously. We're just trapped in one vector of space-time, so we wouldn't possibly understand that, but mm -hmm. all things uh, in the universe are already happen, will happen, and are happening at the same time, <laughs> where time is the inappropriate word for it. Anyway, sure, right. there's all these kinds of things that you, you, can, you start to imagine about the world that you live in in the universe that houses us in some sense, mm -hmm. and you can call it into question, but you're not calling it into question in the manner of calling into question a faith or a dogma. You're calling into, in, into question because you're being playful about contingencies that may give you insights into realms of possibility that are we tend to be locked out of as embodied simple creatures. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. There's a few things I want to touch on here. And I think hopefully I think we're kind of like starting to wrap up and sort of feel like maybe we're winding down a little bit, but, um, uh, that there's something when they all kind of come together, all these things kind of come together, like whatever I'm doing, a spiritual practice of some kind, transformational workshop of some kind, or some form of introspection or meditation or therapy or taking a psychedelic medicine. Like this is, it's catalyzing. It's catalyzing development in a certain way, or you might say just the ongoing unfolding of a complex dynamic system, which is my organismic holistic self. And it's cool, right? It's like, it's like cool that like, oh, look at this. It's like creating some kind of well-being for me. It's creating an inner spaciousness and restfulness or whatever stillness, you know, but it's also creating this possibility for other creative insights to like appear. And I think this is kind of when we start talking about these upper stages of development and Ken Wilber would talk about them as like, we don't know exactly what they are because they're being created, right? They, they still haven't, and remember in our developmental, we talked about like, you kind of look backwards and it looks like a line. It looks more linear, but looking forwards, it looks more like a tree, right? There, there's multiple adjacent possibles to wherever kind of vantage we're, or purchase we're at right now in the, whatever you want to call this, this cosmic design space of unrealized things. But like at a certain point, it's going to become sort of what it is. And we might sort of be looking backwards at something like what Teal is, but in that engagement with it, in its emergence, it requires people to do at least some of this tuning in, like, relax your conceptualizations of yourself or, you know, like introspect a lot or, or, you know, take this substance and go up this elevator and look at things from what that like, I'm seeing patterns and colors and oh my gosh. And like, okay, whatever. 90% of that was just brain noise. Right. But like maybe the brain noise sort of like, whoop, like brings in something into focus that you can grab onto like, like an Einstein or something and just whoop, bring it back. And like, oh, we could talk about that now, like, and, and help build that future. Right. And this is where kind of, hopefully this comes back to our theme of social evolution, right? Like well, what the, what the evolution of society looks like going forward is going to require to some degree, like 
people like you and me and the people who like to listen to our podcasts, wherever those folks might be, like, are like there's some interest in the futurists do this, right? Yeah. The hippies do this, and there's this fascinating overlap between the physicists and the and the hippies, like the the Tao of physics or the Dancing Wooly Masters. And I was going to mention that book. There's a whole account of this history called the How the Hippies Saved Physics. Have you heard of this book? It actually talks about how like physics was sort of kind of like fizzling and nobody was going into it, and then all these hippies got really into like parallel universes and shit, like in the '70s, and like. It sort of kept theoretical physics going more from the woo side, not from the like careerist scientist side. Yeah, and it kept, they kept going, and that's where the Wooly Masters and all these got, these books kind of came about and now physics and stuff. But um, it it doesn't surprise me that like this way theoretical hardcore science shit and this psychedelic woo stuff kind of wraps. I don't know if it's the right metaphor, but it feels like it's sort of wraps around it and points towards this omega point somehow or towards the emergent future um maybe it's perspectival in some grand sense like the a more kind of um subjective or qualitative view is the more woo view of it right and a more kind of objective and quantitative view is the more external view but they're they meet right like these these hypotheses that turn into scientific theories come from somewhere right and, and we're and they might not even be like theories it may just be inventions right innovations uh people who create like just new tools that are like wow and who who would have thought of that like you know but uh i do think touching into those states is something that you don't need substances to do and some people it's not healthy to do for, but that's right. But this isn't for everybody. It's not for everybody. Well, the substances. That's right. But I do think the whatever you want to call this, the the elevated or the trans peak transcend peak experience state is something. I think it probably is on the menu for most people, if not everyone, and it's kind of necessary. It almost kind of points to sort of the spiritual dimension of the evolution of humanity. Because otherwise it becomes this very cynical, apathetic, it collapses into like nihilism, right? Or narcissism or hedonism or postmodern relativism. And like, these are fucking dead ends, right? And it, you can kind of like go down those and go like, well, I guess this is all we got. And you, you can pull your hair out as an existentialist philosopher, you know, moaning about how hor horrible it is, which it's kind of like a, a bad psychedelic trip, philosophically speaking. But, but in the end, what else do we got, right? Well, we got to kind of like magnetize towards the same omega point. I mean, it sounds sort of vague and weird, yeah, but like that if you tap I... into it, we can all kind of tune into something. That's seems right. Like it's pointing in the same direction, and it's it's almost as if we are in any given moment, we are taking a time slice of of the universe mm -hmm. and so there is something that recommends this power of now kind of stuff yeah. where you just you sit with the present moment and you allow yourself to experience it and because that's all we ever have an acknowledgement of that can be very unsettling to people at first and then and then brings about a sense of placidity mm-hmm 
But I think at the same time, and I, and I, and I think that sense of presence, that sense of being, being with yourself in the present moment mm-hmm. is an important exercise and it's an important way of thinking things. But I also believe that what these peak experiences can teach you is that you are a very small part of a, a great unfolding. Yes. And even though there's not a sort of a teleological moment or, or point of s- s- like reverse singularity where <laughs> uh, we go back into the singularity just as we came out at the point of the Big Bang, maybe we do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a sense that um, we, are, we are connected and growing together. Yes. Um, God, that sounds just, just so, it sounds goofy and hippie like on its face, but totally. it's, but it's really, it, it's, it's part of this, it's an unfurling universe, um, that is good and we're all a part of it. We're not as separated as we think we are. Right. That convergence into something that we're capable of catalyzing as agents. And in some sense, we are riding a, a great tide at the same time. If we can begin to start to reconcile those thoughts, mm-hmm. there's a beautiful future waiting out there for us as human beings. We just have to be able to see it and resolve the paradoxes in our minds for just a moment. Yeah, man. Well, this is a fun one. Definitely. <laughs> What more people are going to think next of us after this? Next time we'll do it this? on drugs and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until Th- next time. Thanks for joining us with Social Evolution. Max and I had a great time here in beautiful Austin, Texas, recording this just for you. Join us again next time. Bye.